Welcome to Integral Christian Network Podcast, where we explore ways of evolving towards a more loving, inclusive, and embodied mystical Christianity. Okay, today we're here with Paul Smith, and it's great to have him here and be with him, and he's going to lead us in our opening practice today. Okay, well, let's do a, a brief version of Whole Body Mystical Awakening. This is the version I do while waiting in the grocery line at the grocery store. You can do it eyes open or eyes closed and wherever you are, sitting, standing, walking. And uh, so we start by uh, taking a few few breaths and becoming aware of our breathing, which moves us uh, to inside of ourselves. And then we drop down into our heart. We start with the heart. And let your mind drop down into your heart. Move into the inside of your heart that's filled with love and the flow of peace and joy. Radiating love. And we move from the center of our heart on down to our feet. Wiggle our toes so we feel in touch with the floor or ground. And get in touch with Mother Earth, being grounded and anchored to the Earth. And soak up the energy from the Earth into our feet, into our whole body. And then as we draw Earth energy up through our feet and legs, just draw it on up to our, our gut our spiritual womb. We all have a spiritual womb, whether we have a physical one or not. Feel that energy in the center of your abdomen. You might put your hands on your abdomen and let your attention focus there. Energy flows where attention goes. In our womb space, God is always creating us in the divine image. From that divine identity comes our courage, our creativity. We move on back up to our heart for a brief stop to recharge in the radiant love energy of our heart. And then on up into our head center. And feel the still, vibrant calmness of our mind. Just rest in that. It's so wonderful to be completely silent, peaceful. And now we finish back down into our heart. And in our heart space, we reach out to others who may be with us, 
I'm reaching out to uh, to David and Luke and others that I'm thinking of. I'm reaching out to the spiritual guides that are around me. You can reach out to those around you and feel their closeness and their energy as they love you and are there for you. Let's come on back to now. One of the things that we want to engage in through this podcast is not just information, but being immersed in who we really are, um, who we have been designed to be and who we are becoming. And so we start these podcasts off with whole body. We're not just thinking machines. We are a whole ecosystem under ourselves and we participate in a larger ecosystem. So it's really important that we um, enjoy who we are and the fullness of who we are. And so uh, in this podcast, we really want to jump in with Paul and with Luke and myself, um, the importance and the phenomenology of growing up. Luke, is there anything that you want to say as we jump into this? Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to all the people who skip ahead past the practice to, to jump into the conversation. You could just go back now. It's okay. We won't hold it against you. And uh, as we show up here in our full embodiment, I'm just uh, <laughs> a little joke in there. But uh, I'm excited for Paul to, to lay all this out and talk about it and, you know, hear, hear about how we, we grow up and evolve through our stages of faith. I'll just say really quick, you know, we uh, um, and I'll be careful not to get my preach on. But, you know, sometimes I have found that we kind of live in this uh, sort of spiritual Peter Pan syndrome, you know, where, you know, the the way that uh, marketing kind of aims at us, you know, that it's really aiming at a particular age bracket. And I was I was uh, watch looking at a. Uh, um, some kind of uh, statistic report, and it was basically aiming at 18 to 49. Apparently, if you're past 49, you don't count anymore. You're not part of that demographic. You know? So we, we kind of live in this culture that says the, the, the primary age is, is somewhere in those 20s. You know? But that's not the way that you know, we are to enjoy the becoming process, that growing up is not trying to retain a certain stage and stay there, but to become a full human being, we, we need to keep moving upward and onward and outward and expanding and inward. And so, Paul, where do you want to take us? Uh, well, I think it's helpful <clears throat> in terms of growing up to uh, see that uh, humankind, as well as individuals, that we all go through developmental stages. And um, when psychologists and anthropologists and transpersonalists and so on look at that, they come up with different names for those stages. I use uh, six different names, uh, tribal, warrior, traditional, modern, postmodern, and integral. And uh, there are whole cultures that are at one of those stages, <clears throat> or within a culture, maybe several of those stages. Uh, we see them in growing up, and we, we, we've identified the stages in, in kids and teenagers and adulthood, uh, but we haven't fully seen that adults can be 
in uh, some of those stages. And and the culture wars today come from people in uh, traditional stage and the modern stage and postmodern stage. And they're, they're quite different. And so I think it's uh, helpful to see uh, what where we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was younger learning about uh, hearing this teaching that, you know, oh, researchers are, are, you know, discovering that adolescence maybe extends out into our 20s, maybe even all the way to age 30. And then like you hit this mark and then you're an adult. Right. And then it's like you've arrived and you're done. And it's like, oh, how boring. How awful does that sound? You know, like <laughs> so this idea of adult development, of the continuing evolving, unfolding journey, there is always more to go. And to me, that's super exciting because it's always fresh. It's always new. There's always more to discover, more mystery to unfurl and, um, you know, more growth to be explored. No settling never arrived. So, yeah, that's uh, let's start at the beginning. Right. You mentioned six stages, Paul. Um, Let's just talk briefly about that first one. Okay, Uh, the tribal stage, uh, People who study these things tell us that it began about 50,000 years ago. And the strength of that stage is family. That's an enduring strength. But we want to keep that. And uh, uh, the weakness of that stage is probably fantasy and maybe some fear. About 5 or 10% of the world population is at that stage today. And uh, we see, see it in, in kids. Uh, your kids, uh, Luke, <laughs> are probably in the uh, magical worldview right now, and uh, uh, we see a healthy version of tribalism in sports teams and uh, an unhealthy version in politics. So that's uh, that's tribalism. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I definitely see that in my kids. You know, just the importance of family. The you know, the the need to have that secure container, that space where they feel safe and loved and, you know, who who they are, um, you know. Yeah, so my, my three-year-old is definitely in that space. <laughs> um, after the tribal stage, historically, uh, the warrior stage began about 10,000 years ago as uh, the, the tribes... Uh, progressed and grew, they began contacting other tribes and began to be in conflict over the land and resources and so on. And uh, the, the strength of the, tri- of the warrior stage is passion. One of the problems with the progressive folks today is sometimes they lose their passion. And uh, the, the weakness of the warrior stage is fighting and violence. Uh, we can see the Christian warrior consciousness in the Crusades. And, uh, Luke, you can see it in your two-year-olds with the terrible twos. <laughs> and, the, and the word, no, uh-uh. no, no, no. And we see it in religious fundamentalism. And uh, But the truth of it is, uh, the warrior stage is a more evolved stage than the tribal stage. And uh, the, uh, the integral challenge is to learn not to be angry at others who tend to be angry. The warrior stage has got a lot of anger in it. Uh, So 
Yeah, it's also look around and see some people in the warrior stage today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's also, you know, healthy ego development, right? You know, my my two-year-old needs to learn how to say no and differentiate and find himself. And, and to do that, we kind of have to sometimes move against. And, you know, just like any good development, we want to be there and healthy when we're there. And we also want to keep going because no one wants a perpetual two-year-old. We probably know a few people like that, maybe. <laughs> oh, totally. And I would say there's a... There's a hilarious passage. Well, it's a hilarious passage to me. I hope I don't offend anybody with this. But in, in, the, in the Jewish Bible, it says it was during the seasons when they went off to war. And I always thought that was kind of funny. Like, oh, OK, it's that time of the year. <laughs> let's, let's go off into <laughs> battle with each other. You know, but you're right. You know, one one important aspect, uh, if we're integrating the, the warrior stage in our own lives, is that capacity to to defend and sometimes expand boundaries. So it's not merely just about saying no, but it can also be and just about declaring war on people, but also saying, you know, I need, if, if I'm in a situation where we need to define boundaries, we're going to do that in a healthy way. So, Paul, take us to the traditional wavelength. Sure. Well, uh, we finally, as uh, humankind was progressing and evolving, I got tired of all that fighting and disruption, and we moved into the traditional stage, which is the law and order stage. So you had the, uh, the Code of Hammurabi and the commandments of Moses, and we decided, Let, let's have a few laws around here and, and bring some order into all this. And the strength of that stage is being faithful and steady, and the uh, weakness of the traditional stage is being faithful and steady. Uh, so, uh, if you're at a church that's at the traditional stage, they do a, a beautiful job of being faithful and steady, and also have a, a, a difficult time in leaving that steadiness to go ahead and and grow and consider new things, and uh, not not resist change. Uh, I know uh, with my kids, I could hardly wait for my kids to reach this stage and get civilized. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's True. that's when they started obeying the the, yes. the rules. Uh, about forty percent of the world's population is at the traditional stage. Ninety percent of the world's religions are at the traditional stage. So you can see a, a problem there. Uh, but for all of its uh, difficulties, the traditional stage is more loving, inclusive, complex, and moral than warrior and tribal stages. Yeah, I want to bring in a, a story of something I learned from an early childhood development expert recently and someone who's worked with little kids for a long time. And she was telling me about how uh, kids, uh, and this speaks to the principle of how we really need every stage and you can't skip stages. And when we're healthy, we're integrating the best of every stage as we go along. And so in talking about early development, uh, she was stressing how important it is for little kids to fall in love to fall in love with nature, to fall in love with a magical God, to fall in love with their family, and how that undergirding love really, um, you know, sets a foundation for their journey through, right, as they differentiate, as they become their own ego, their own self, right? It's undergirded by that love. And then they need the love and they need the ego differentiation when they go into that traditional stage, because if they don't have that, they'll become completely assimilated into the law and order and the group think and the, you know, 
the sort of collective uh, overbearing consciousness there that can come to define everything. And if they don't have the love, they'll be all about the rules and all about the, the order. And that's where we get the angry God and the punishing God. And, um, you know, something we see, I think, a lot in traditional religion, as we said, so much of it is there. Um, but I think I know in my own experience, it was that early experience of falling in love, of, of experiencing God and the lack of that separation that really carried me through, you know, because if you if you're you don't have that heart or the strong experience of that heart, it's really easy to just get focused on the walls, you know, and there's a lot of walls. They're thick. They're they're these strong barriers that traditional Christianity and and as the the cracks come in and the the holes get a little bigger and the walls start to crumble you know if you don't have that heart you 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 think the walls are are the defining characteristic of of your faith or of your religious tradition so um you know that was just a powerful expression for me as i watch my kids grow up as i even think and look back to my own spiritual journey and think about others who i've known um, the importance of that integrating each stage and finding a healthy expression in each space. Yeah, I think, too, that traditionalism really does, when it's functioning well and it's functioning healthy, gives us a container in which we belong. Um, the drawback, of course, is that we can confuse the container with the substance that's supposed to be in it. Uh, we don't necessarily differentiate between the two, so we can really fall in love with the container and, and sometimes not have the um, discernment to know it's actually the substance that, that's holding it that's the most important. Yet, I don't want to bypass the fact that all of us at one time or another, and I know it's in the three of our stories, it, especially if you came from a wounded background like I did, it gave you a belonging system in which you knew, for the most part, if it's healthy again, you were safe. And you're part of this. You may be screwed up. And pretty much everybody's screwed up in one way or another, but we belong to each other, even if we're not kin or we're not someone with the same last name, we have a place where we can go. And I, I see that in our youth ministry here in our context. They really need a container to, to hold them and to care for them. So it's a it's a great stage in that sense. So should we jump into the modern frequency? Yeah, the modern era began about 500 years ago, and uh, we see it uh, today in uh, teenagers in our culture. Uh, I can remember when I was 14 at the table, my mom saying, where are you getting all these new ideas from? Why are you thinking these strange things? <laughs> I was entering the modern stage, and... Uh, it, uh, the modern stage, of course, is a, a very flourishing stage. It's a rational stage, progressive stage. And uh, it's uh, modern consciousness is found in about 25% of the world's population. And uh, its uh, weakness, of course, uh, today is uh, materialism, uh, which is... Uh, you know, having a bunch of crap we don't need, <laughs> and uh, and scientism, which is saying unless the, the science itself, which uh, can observe and measure, can prove the existence of something, it uh, it doesn't exist. And uh, the modern stage is uh, the beginning of worldwide human rights. Slavery's been abolished in every civilized country. And uh, all the modern scientific advancements in medical and other things, and it's uh, it's been uh, it's been, it's a wonderful stage. 
So this is mega churches. Is that what you're saying, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> no, most mega churches are in the traditional stage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But they're be... using modernist techniques. That's the fascinating thing to watch is they, they really are employing modernist values and modernist techniques to attract the traditionalists into a really huge Noah's Ark. <laughs> right. And attract money and prosperity and other, other modern values. But they do it in a, a theologically, in terms of Christianity, uh, a, 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 a traditional setting. Yeah, you know, this is something that's really interesting, I think, when we look at the intersection of religion and education in the United States or a lot of Western countries, right? Because education is a very modernist, rationalist uh, setting that we grew up in and we're trained in. And we're just, I mean, modernism is so baked into us, uh, I think, so much of us. And, you know, that tends to clash with some traditionalist views, right? You see this in talking about, you know, creation, evolution, or the clash between science and religious belief or things like that. And, and so there's a real kind of dissonance, I think, for a lot of people who grew up religious and then they, maybe they're fighting science or maybe they accept it. And, the, you know, the, the kind of relationship between those two major stages as they're expressed in education and religion is often at odds with one another, unfortunately, because they really do go together quite beautifully, actually. But we need to keep going to, to really discover that. And where do we go from there, Paul? Well, after modern comes postmodern, <laughs> and uh, that's a very inclusive stage. It began about 150 years ago in Europe, and in the 1960s here in America, you guys probably don't remember that. <laughs> I do very, very vividly. And about 10% of the world is at the postmodern stage. In this country, about 20%, 25%. They're often called the cultural creatives. The postmodern stage is more inclusive and more loving, complex, just, and moral than the modern stage. It's the home of the environmental movement, liberation theology, diversity, justice. Uh, the weakness is uh, probably can be found in uh, the saying, my truth is just as good as your truth. That is, uh, uh, you're, you know, we, 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 can't, uh, we can't evaluate truths. As the fellow said, you may have two degrees, but I read an article on Wikipedia, uh, so I really know what it's about. <laughs> and an extreme postmodernism, nothing is true for everyone. There's my truth and your truth. A universal truth does not exist. And uh, when you get to the integral stage, you look back and you say, well, the problem with saying universal truth does not exist is that's a universal truth statement. Right. And so it falls of its own accord. Uh, but the, the postmodern is, a, is a quite, a, quite a stage. And probably most of uh, your listeners uh, are in the postmodern stage. Uh, that's a very creative stage. Oh, okay. We're getting into the weeds now, Paul. So hold on a second. You don't think so? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, you know, I can just hear people listening and say, well, well, I believe in science, Paul. Um, you know, what are you talking yes. about? This, uh, this postmodern stuff, this, uh, you know, my truth. Yeah. Well, what, how do, how do we go beyond science? What, what do you even mean by that? Well, uh, the postmodern certainly believes in science. But it also says that science doesn't have the answer to everything. Uh, 
So there's there's spiritual truth and truth and values, uh, transpersonal truth, and um, so there's a there's a curiosity that that says I want to go beyond. The, the modern stage in science is kind of dry and arid, you know. Uh, uh, it, it, it's more concerned about what you don't believe in. It deconstructs the Bible, uh, and uh, the postmodern is more adventurous. So, uh, without rejecting science, because all postmoderns love doctors, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and we 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 value that. So, I I, I have great fondness for my postmodern self. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say that, you know, in that sense that one of the beautiful aspects of of the postmodern frequency is that we really don't want to marginalize anybody. We want, it is an inclusive stage. We feel sensitive, especially to those groups that have been looked down upon or oppressed or, uh, you know, not, not included. What, it's almost like uh, the modernist and traditionalist stages were, regarding certain people don't ask don't tell and then when you when you get into this more sensitive level it's like no we're asking and we're telling and we're saying you will accept you know so there's this beautiful way i think the only group that they don't include is the um the oppressive majority (laughs) you know so i have sensitivity for everybody except those people that keep oppressing so Yeah. yeah it's a very massive monumental shift and, and value. Yeah, what, is, what does church look like here? Say it again. Church look like here. Uh, postmodern denominations are the mainline churches. Uh, you know, a lot of Methodist church, uh, United Church of Christ, congregational churches, uh, Unitarian churches, uh, certainly unity, uh, anything that's new agey. <laughs> is uh, it's uh, is postmodern because uh, they're uh, they're they're wanting to explore they 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 think there's more more to be had yeah and I think here too you also see like you said that exploring that adventurous nature also in terms of spiritual practice it it doesn't necessarily have to be contained within the walls of a church or a specific denomination right it can say um i'm gonna i'm gonna do yoga for a while and i'm gonna learn that and i'm gonna i'm gonna go explore uh tai chi or i'm gonna learn about uh hinduism or or tibetan buddhism or whatever it might be right there's there's kind of more of a freedom to go beyond the confines whereas of traditionalism and then you know whereas in modernism Maybe we're not quite as concerned with spiritual practice. We might be focused on learning, right? Building up our information base, getting more knowledge. And here we open back up to practice, I think, you know, moving into uh, all sorts of different ways to explore spirituality in form and dialogue and connection and meditation and things like that. I would I would add, at least in my own experience, when I was sliding through modernism, and I've found that as I've jumped into integral over the last six years or so, I've had to go back into that modernism sort of stage and work some things out. But when I was sliding through it, mindfulness practices were actually very um, stabilizing for me as I was leaving traditionalism and going through that. So it wasn't it wasn't strong in the um, second person intimacy aspects of God. And then when I jumped into postmodernism, it was ABC anything but Christianity. I mean, I had gone through Christianity. It was like, okay, I know everything. You could hear the hubris in this. 
I know everything I think I should know about it. I am now more interested in these real religions who are about liberation and about exploration and they're not oppressive. And then, you know, when you start to grow up, which is what we'll talk about here, you realize all of these traditions have some kind of oppression going on until you get into the higher frequencies. And, and when we're going to, let's go into integral here if we feel comfortable to do so, because then we've included everything without marginalizing everything. We've, we're, we're getting into a different kind of wavelength here. And so, Paul, lead us into this beautiful stage here. Hold on, hold yeah. on, hold on. Okay. Let me get into it. Luke, I got jump question. in, bro. Okay. So you're saying most of us here are at postmodernist stage, maybe. And I have a real issue with this kind of elitism. Go this on. kind of stage, moving up, you know, mm-hmm. wait a second. How can we go beyond? I thought everyone... You know, everyone has value and are equal and, you know, we need to include everyone. Are, are you trying to say that you're better than me? Gee, you spell both postmodern with capital letters. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's exactly what postmodern will say. And it's, it's one of the challenges, because if you say uh, everybody, everybody has the truth and everything is true and everybody's sort of equal, be, and uh, postmodernism rejects all hierarchies. Right. Nothing is better than anything else. Right. Well, there's a, there's a beauty in that inclusiveness. There's also uh, that means you you are left without an ability to, to discern things that may be more true and things that may be less true. And uh, so, uh, postmodernism rejects all hierarchies, not just dominator hierarchies. Right. Dominator hierarchies are the ones where people uh, dominate other people. But there are natural hierarchies, which which uh, is uh, that some things are more true than others. And uh, integral uh, clashes with postmodernism and in that integral says some truth is more true and we have to be discerning. And uh, the, the, the challenge for Christians in postmodernism is uh, how to distinguish a genuine spiritual exploration from fantasy. Uh, because uh, uh, going after a New Age fantasies may seem somewhat like uh, uh, Jesus on the mountaintop talking with Moses and Elijah having spiritual guides. And uh, I think we have to distinguish which of those two uh, have validity, which is, which is which is just sort of projections and, and believing strange things. And so not everything New Age comes up with it has reality. And then at the same time, there are some realities there. And so what integral does is it, it it introduces ways of discerning what it may be uh, have ontological reality from what may be fantasy uh, or what integral calls uh, uh, um, oh, I forget the word now but but seeing that uh, magic is different than uh, uh, a real spiritual depth and. Uh, so integral, anyway. Yeah, it's the, the pre-rational and then the trans. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Couldn't think of the word. I, I like to ask uh, postmoderns if they want to 
you know, if, if we should bring on Donald Trump for a spiritual podcast so that he could teach us about <laughs> spirituality. And that's usually a pretty good illustration that we we have areas of growth where some people, you know, we want to we want to uh, learn from some people more than others. And that's because they've developed and grown in certain ways that uh, others haven't. You know, Did you just evoke the warrior stage. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling it come online really strongly right now. <laughs> integrate it integrate that's right and i would just say that you know when we're at that sensitive stage to um a, a real uh shadow side of it is that we avoid the shadow to a large extent we kind of almost get into this spiritual bypassing that's going on like we're so busy exploring and uh sort of moving in an outward we're, we're integrating an inward but we're moving outward with it that if we're not careful we're really kind of ignoring some of the shadow issues that might be sabotaging our lives and our worldview and, and ourselves and, and the world around us. And, and I would just say, you know, one of the words that came to me, Paul, when, when you were starting to lean into, you know, how, how do we integrate all of these perspectives? And what I discovered when I was jumping into integral, the word that kept coming up for me was situate, that I was starting to situate truths. Um, it, 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 I, I was more comfortable with not a hierarchy, although that, that natural hierarchies have to be held into account. That is a, a definitely a perspective, but it was almost like, and we'll get into this word in another podcast, but holarchy, it, everything is included. My, my bladder is not the same thing as my liver. My lungs aren't the same thing as my legs. But, and they all have different parts. They all function differently, but they're all part of one ecosystem, one truth. So this idea of situating all of these things can be so important. So situate us, Paul. Let's, let's lean more heavily into the integral stage. <laughs> well, uh, uh, integral began about 100 years ago. And about 2% of the world is at the integral stage. And about 5% of the United States population is. And it's the first stage to genuinely try to understand and love people at all stages. Uh, it says every stage is valuable. Every stage has its contributions to make. And there's parts of every stage that are of enduring value. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, it embraces spirituality in a new way. It says uh, we don't uh, need a new religious tradition. We just need a new version of the old tradition. Uh, all religious and spiritual traditions can evolve and move to the next stage. And I find that very exciting and very true of Christianity. The integral stage is more inclusive, loving, complex, just, and moral than the postmodern stage. The previous stages, especially postmodernism, reject past stages and uh, resist the next stage. So postmodernism is kind of known for uh, thumbing its nose at anybody who would dare to be traditional uh, and, uh, and resist the next stage. The, I like to say it, it's called stage rights. Integral believes in the right of all stages to exist. Everybody has a right to be at the stage they're at, and uh, to stay there as long as they need to. We can't uh, skip stages. We can only work through them and go through them and live together peacefully while we're in different stages. Uh, but an integral also welcomes the uh, next stage. 
And the and the cultural clash today that we see uh, all the time is the 40 percent of the traditionalists with the 50 percent of the modernists with the 20 percent of the postmodernists. And uh, we are all really going at it today. And uh, we need uh, we we need some help. Now, Paul, I'm going to pull some math on you. That didn't add up to 100%. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's all not neat and tidy. <laughs> uh, th- those are all uh, very estimates of various uh, uh, people who study these things and think about these things. And so it, it overlaps. And uh, we all have a center of gravity. So, uh, you know, I have a center of gravity that integral, but I also have a part of me that's still in postmodern. And, uh, uh, you know, and a part of me probably that's just in, still hasn't emerged from the modern stage. So that accounts for the, uh, the skewed figures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we have these different lines of development within us, right? That, yeah. you know, we're not all of us at one stage or another. We have parts and contain multitudes that exist in, in different stages and even at various different times, right? Um, so I might be you know, have a lot of development and growth in my spiritual, uh, development, but my emotional development might, uh, I might blurt out in anger quite a bit and, you know, regress to that red stage a fair amount. Maybe my center of gravity is at kind of traditional or modern, but, you know, we can move about in, in the many different parts of who we are. Right. Yeah. There's another aspect of numbers here that I think always fascinates me. And I have the integral map on my, uh, on my desktop, so every day, if I'm on my computer, I'm always constantly reminding myself of, of these various stages. And, and one of the things that so fascinates me is that the, and I know we don't like using language like higher stages, but, but the, I'm just going to use it for now. The higher stages are coming online in terms of evolutionary history more mm. and more quickly so, yeah. you know, those that tribal stage was hundreds of thousands of years. So the numbers are really fascinating right now because they're expanding it. The more archaeological studies that, that's going on. But you, you look at the, the tribal and the, the warrior and the traditional. We're talking thousands and thousands of years. But then modernism comes on. There's a little bit of argument there as to, you know, when exactly it started to come online. But we're talking just hundreds of years ago, and then postmodern starts coming online very quickly after that, and then integral comes online like almost decades after that. I mean, you know, again, we're we're playing with numbers here a little bit, but the spiral—if we use spiral dynamic language—the the higher it goes, the more quickly it happens, and that's just completely fascinating to me. The the other thing about integral. That, if you don't mind me leaning into my experience in terms of how it's grown up in me, and and since I pastor a church here in Southern California, I literally have all of those stages in my spiritual community from kids, you know, and we got a thriving kids ministry, a wonderful youth ministry, and in terms of working with adults, I mean, they're all over the spectrum, and that can be a challenge to to try to shepherd a community like that, but you know. Um, as Integral came online for me about six years ago, I really began to see the value that everyone truly does belong and everyone is needed. And it's it's not just I decide who's accepted and who's not. 
everybody is accepted as they are. I see that in the life of Jesus very much. I mean, you see him kind of ping-ponging between highly developed people and, and, and folks that haven't had a chance to really, by, by circumstance or you know, social setting or whatever, have not had the chance to expand, and he accepts them and loves them exactly where they are. The only people he challenges are, the, it seems to be, the traditionalists who believe they don't need to transform. But that's another subject for another time. But he still utterly accepts them. I think of Nicodemus, you know, and I don't want to rabbit trail too far into this, but he has a very fascinating way of being at the integral stage and and loving and caring and showing compassion and acceptance to wherever a person might be on that spectrum. Beautiful. Yes. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to bring in one more element to this as well, that there's a movement as we go from stage to stage between individualism and community or connection, right? So the more individualistic stages are the the warrior, the modern, and then to some extent the integral. And then the more communal stages are the the tribal, the traditional, and the postmodern, right? Those really value a collectivity and more. So as people emerge into integral, there's this sort of uh, individualism that comes about where we need to differentiate from so much of what's happening in the culture and we have to kind of discover a lot of times on our own uh, into this new stage and one of the things that uh, we're passionate about at Integral Christian Network is saying, huh, how can we gather together these integral folks who are scattered around the world and are seeking, you know, they're really missing that community, they're missing that connection. And, you know, one, I think one of the reasons why we've seen such an exponential increase in the development of stages is our global connection and the information sharing through the internet and uh, the different ways that we can learn so much more and connect with so many more people. And so, you know, that's what we've done. We say, hey, we have these tools, we have these ways of connecting, we might be scattered across the world, but but now we can find each other and we can come together and say, okay, what's, what's the next communal stage? What's that sort of uh, to use spiral dynamics, colors, turquoise, right? What's that? What's that way of coming together, in continuing to evolve, continuing to um, charge forward ahead in our development? And to do that, we need a community. We need connection. We need spaces of of doing that together, which is what we're trying to explore in our we spaces and um, other ways of of coming together. So I'm gonna jump in on that because you've got my nerd hat on real quick. I think that's the the phenomena of the internet. Um, you know, and Paul and I, Luke, I don't know if you were a complete digital native, but, uh, you know, Paul and I are digital immigrants to, to one extent or another. And being alive and aware as we were going from tapes and, you know, eight tracks and yeah. tapes and <laughs> records to yeah. the whole digital phenomena, it was this interesting amalgamation of both modernism and postmodernism. You have the modernism that, that really flattens the playing field. I mean, it did this amazing job of making accessibility accessible, right? But in doing so, not only did it flatten the playing field, it, it completely democratized the way that we can connect with each other, but um, it, it could have the potential to also sensitize us to the global family that we're in, right? So mm -hmm. it, it, it almost is this strange, and I'm gonna use it with pun intended, this unique tool came online in humanity's history where, you know, even when if we're facing a global pandemic, 
we still have this capacity, even if we're practicing physical proximity, to connect with each other and to connect with people that uh, we might not normally um, share with. I'll give you a very quick example. Example: We have a Turkish Muslim community that we're involved with uh, over the years, and we do iftar Ramadan dinners every year. And this year, because we could not be in physical proximity, we did this over Zoom. And so we had an exchange of ideas. We, we uh, ate the meal together. Uh, we talked about what how we experience God together. I mean, it was this very, the modern tool was for us to connect via the internet. The postmodern value of saying, we want to sensitize ourselves to you as you to us. Practice hospitality, very important in Turkish culture. So, you know, there's this exchange of, of who we are without losing who we are. And so you ha- there's this, like, in a, in a strange sense, even though most of the folks on the call, I would venture to say, are probably not integral, we were practicing integral spirituality because we were including each other through modernistic techniques. I rabbit trailed there a little bit and kind of lost the what inspired the nerdism, but it was just, you know, I feel like we're in this very unique time in human history where this has happened to poise us for greater unity and acceptance with each other. That's yeah, lovely, lovely to hear about, David. That's just beautiful. Yeah, Thank that's you. beautiful. That's that's the gift of of that postmodernism, of that connection, of that sharing and integrating. You know, when you were talking about the democratization of all of this, I think that's another key factor that can be so helpful in moving to integral and finding a community is the discernment space mm-hmm. where we can mm-hmm. say you know, we're in that space and and everything is the same, right? We have access to everything, a thousand spiritual teachers, a thousand different forms of of practice and things, right? A million podcasts. Why am I listening to this one, right? (laughs) Um, You know, and it's kind of that sense of like, I'm sure a lot of people I think could probably identify with this where it's so overwhelming. You know, the, the multitude of perspectives can often leave us in a place of just feeling kind of lost or unsure. Or how do we discern? How do we know what's true, what's not? Um, and that's one of the shadows of that that postmodernism. So when we can move into integral and find a community where we can go in that process together, right? We don't have the holy book to read and say, this is the truth, right? Um, and we don't, you know, uh, it's not just based on my opinion or my, you know, knowledge from reading Wikipedia articles, but we have this community of discernment where we can connect and, you know, I can, I can find someone who's an expert in early childhood education who can teach me yes, things I need yes. to know about my kid, yes. you know, from Texas, you know, uh, a couple of states away from me. And I can connect with someone who's doing this, that. And so it's, it's this inclusion of a healthy tribalism, right, of a healthy way of finding my people, of finding a group, again, that we can connect with and resonate with and speak the same language literally or mystically or, um, you know, all the ways that that works that, that we can find one another now, um, is just such a huge need. I know I felt in my life and one of the big kind of impulses for seeking to gather people together, like, like we do. That's such a beautiful, beautiful point, Luke. And and I know for me, it's been, uh, after I retired from church, church, uh, trying to evolve a church, (laughs) uh, this has been so exciting to me, one, to uh, well, to come across to you and to uh, move into uh, an, this embodied way of praying and meditating 
uh, which got me in touch with parts of me that I had not been in touch with before. And my spiritual life took off in a new uh, way. And then to uh, every, every week to be in touch with people all over the world who are who are doing this, too, and to share our spiritual experiences. It's just it's just so exciting to um, having having uh gone gone into myself by centers of spiritual knowing and practice and getting in touch with that knowing i had i have had in, incredible amounts of spirit uh, of theological knowing and biblical knowing and i mean i, I, I have a library of ten thousand books <laughs> all of which i've read uh but i didn't have a lot of spiritual knowing and it's just been incredible waking up uh, along with the growing up mm. and two of them gone together and doing it with others, which is, which is why it's happening. Uh, Luke and I meet every week to, to talk and share and, and digest these things and then to meditate together. And it's just, it's just so, so exciting. Mm. The gathering and then loose gathering gifts that gathers people from all over the world that yes. we can be a part of this tribe with, an ever-expanding tribe. It's just, life is very exciting for me at age 83. Ooh. I would have thought, never thought <laughs> that this would be the most exciting part of my life, the most exciting time of my life. So uh, thank you. That, that's right it there, Paul, that you're naming the just absolute joy and beauty of growing up of development, right? Where yeah. you can say at age 83, this is the best time of my life. You know, I, I would hear people say, and maybe you hear this a lot in our culture. Oh man, you know, college, those are the best days of my life. Or, <laughs> you know, this, that, that was the best days of my life. Like, no, no, no. The best days are always ahead. They're yes. always, and if you continue yes. developing, if you continue to move into these things, to connect with others, to explore, um, there's no reason why it shouldn't be, you know, that, not to say there won't be hard times or difficult things that come, right? But it's always leading us further further onward into more, more joy, more depth, more inclusivity, more beauty. Um, so that's, that's wonderful, Paul. I'm so glad there's, to hear a, that. there's a few things that I want to jump into. And, and I think that's the thing you're, you're, we're, we're hitting into something very juicy and very beautiful here. And, and, and Luke, both you and Paul, um, have, have edged into this in our conversation, but that at each, there's a, there's a flavor at each, Stage again. I'm using that, you know, carefully. But at each stage, um, you know, it's it's individual, it's collective. It leans into in it, it leans in and out of and kind of dances between those two values. The joy about being at the integral stage, and I use this a lot when I craft my messages or teachings, is uh, and someone called it a speech the other day, and I, I was like, I need more of you in my community. Call it a speech. I think that's fantastic. But this idea that both the individual and the collective, mm. it's a both and. It's not an either or. And the, and the more we grow into those more expanded um, ways of experiencing, you know, the the infinite nature of God, the intimate nature of God, and the incarnate nature of God, um, meaning us, uh, that. We can include and in, in sort of flex flow, to borrow spir spiral dynamics language, between the, the individual and the collective. But I, I, I want to then also want to make sure that we cover this before we wrap up. And that's as we grow through those different value structures, and that's another way to put it, too, is 
as we're growing through these value structures and, and becoming more expanded, it can feel like, and I remember this especially leaving traditionalism and into modernism, it was a real death experience because traditionalism really traps people to think I can't color outside these lines. Like these lines are God given. And that's the way that it's like given to us is that God gave us these laws. And if we start coloring outside those lines, we're in dangerous territory. And um, I've run into that with traditionalists now that I'm not in functioning in, in that full, you know, structure, but it can feel very dangerous and it can feel like a death experience to move into the, to grow into those higher structures or, or larger structures. Uh, and I was wondering if, if you two wanted to jump in on what that experience is like for you or what you might uh, encourage others with as they're growing into those different value structures. Yeah. You know, uh, what arises for me as we talk about that is, you know, it's, it's becoming really common. I hear there's a lot out there talking about faith deconstruction. That's a word you hear a lot, deconstruction. Huge. And it's kind of this idea that we, you know, usually that's describing the move from traditional to modern or postmodern, right? And a combination of that. And that's a really important move. And like you're saying, it can be so devastating. I went through my own process in that. And as I was naming before, I think it was that foundational love piece that kept me connected to the divine, kept me connected to God, even as that evolved and changed. Uh, that was so huge. But then, you know, I think the really interesting thing here that's arising is, you know, we might be able to look back and see how we've done that in our lives. But say we're at the postmodern stage, you know, it's harder to see what that looks like uh, from where you are now into what you're being invited to next, right? That might feel like death. It might feel like something that you really cringe against. It might be this value of, no, no, there are no hierarchies. This this is all total bollocks, you know, like I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't buy any of this. Right. Um, you know, and, and again, there's, there's lots of different ways that we come to knowing more, to going beyond our rational mind, to learning and experience community and all sorts of things like that. Right. But, um, just, just kind of encouraging an openness to say, okay, the next stage, whatever's beyond, I don't know what it is now. Right. I don't have a grasp on it. And there's a humility in that that's really lovely and beautiful, because if we did, we'd already be moving into that stage. You know, <laughs> so we we want to stay open. We always want to keep learning and keep evolving, even wherever we are to know to say, OK, this is what I have for now. But I want to I want to keep growing and learning more. So that's that's the attitude we want to have as integralists, whether we're at any stage in, in any part of our development and uh be open to that growth, whether it's death or joy or um, everything in between, because it, it usually is some combination of all of that. Hmm. Well said. I don't have anything to add to that. Oh, well, yeah. then I'm going to, because, Paul, you your book, Integral Christianity, was such a consolation and such a point of direction for me when I had interiorly really given up on Christianity as a transformational system. And it was very hard to be a pastor and go through that stage. And so just personally, uh, you know, it came along right on time in terms of, um, no, there's a way to love the. I had a very low Christology and an extraordinarily low view of scripture at the time, you know, and here I found this, this very wise, wise um, man and, and mystic and pastor 
who wrote of these things not just from a heady point of view, but you wrote about these things valuing each stage. So I, I highly recommend Integral Christianity. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you've not had a chance to read Integral Christianity, um, get 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 on Amazon and buy that book. It is it is a very it, even if you're not swimming in the Christian stream right now, just as a spiritual wisdom uh, writing, um, you will be extremely encouraged and and um, and and a, a felt sense of invitation to keep to keep moving on. Hmm. Thanks for the plug. You know what's interesting, and I almost spaced out there for a minute. Is you, you, you have evolved one of the main sections of that book, where I where I introduce the idea of the uh, infinite face of God, the intimate face of God, and the inner face of God, and you just expanded that. And it blew my mind. Instead of just infinite, intimate, and inner, you said infinite, intimate, and incarnated. Yeah. And, and, and the inside of me said, oh, that's, that's the most powerful word, much more powerful than inner. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to have a second version of that book <laughs> <laughs> and, and put in, because in, it, it, the word incarnate, I mean, we use that for Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation of God. And then to apply it to all of us, which it does, says it doubly well Mm -hmm. that we are incarnations incarnations of God being. So I've just... I've just rewritten all my all my talks here because (laughs) thank you for adding that word. That was just beautiful. That's your that's your gift of of beautiful words. Thank you, David. Uh, That that made my day just Uh, hearing you do that. You just made my day. Yeah, no, I mean your books have just basically led me to encapsulate that. I, I didn't think I was deviating. But, uh, yeah, you know, I was reading the I'm sorry, folks, you got to listen to this because it's worth listening to. I was I've been reading John over and over and over again. And the more that I read that that gospel, the more uh, not not just from an esoteric point of view, but from, uh, you know, like a lofty woo woo. But really, from a concrete point of view, it amazes me how much John's gospel really is so inclusive that we're all. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and all things were created through this Word. Try qualifying, and then John goes out of his way to say, there's nothing that's been created that's not been created through this Word. Like, he's really going out of his way to say, everything is the Word made flesh. What lacks is awareness of that, of course. But I think what what your writings have done have, have just been this, like, very deeply inclusive way of saying if that Jesus incarnation was really just a symbol for our own. And that really, and I'd love to nerd out with you some other time, Paul, and maybe on another podcast that I think because John's gospel is so transrational that it's not just about Jesus. It's about the um, unitive self sojourning as a human through the earthly celestial plane uh, we yes. could talk about that at another time, but uh, um, yeah, we are all incarnations of God, and that that your book, Integral Christianity, and then is your is your God big enough, close enough, you enough? Is just uh, um, I can't wait, and I've said this to anybody who will listen to me. 
I believe that your book, two books, and Jim Marion's book, Putting on the Mind of Christ, will one day, in the sacred world to come, be required reading at most seminaries. And so <laughs> I, I highly, highly recommend your work. Luke, yeah, you better rescue us because Paul and I will just. I keep... know. Well, and and David, you're getting on your preaching soapbox. I'm sorry. I apologize, everybody. It's all great. It's all good. You know, there's that's again the expression of of how much more there is to explore and evolve into. So, you know, even that in, in, infinite, intimate, incarnate. You know, that's the three faces of God, and maybe maybe we can talk more about that sometime, Paul. But thank you so much for being with us, for going through the stages of growing up and uh, this wonderful conversation time together. Thanks so much, Paul.